Welcome to The Systemic Way. In today's episode, Cesar and I are talking to Dr. Harry Aponte. Harry is a family therapist well known for his writings and workshops on the person of the therapist, spirituality in therapy, therapy with disadvantaged and culturally diverse families, and structural family therapy. Dr. Aponte was a staff member and teacher of family therapy at the Manager Clinic and subsequently director of the Philadelphia Child Guidance Centre. Currently, Harry is clinical associate professor in the couple and family therapy program of Drexel University in Philadelphia. He also has a private practice and conducts trainings and workshops throughout the country and abroad. I suppose the first thing that I want to say is what an amazing opportunity it was to have Harry Aponte on our podcast to come and talk to him about his career and journey with systemic ideas and practice. Harry was really generous with his time and gave us so many amazing stories of the people and the work that has shaped him. Without going too much into our conversation, um, because I know there's lots of things that people will get from listening to him and I don't want to give too much away. Um, I think one of the things that really stood out for me was when Harry spoke to us about intuition and he really clearly explained the meaning of it for him and how he uses it in practice with clients. And I just love that because I think for me, it's always been one of those things that I haven't really been able to pinpoint and give clear words to. Cesar, it would be wonderful to hear from you what were some of the things that stood out for you. Thanks, Judy. Just having the opportunity to speak to Harry about his his involvement in the history and the development of family therapy and hearing some of those early stories about the connections to Mnuchin and, and the early development of structural family therapy and what drew him to those kind of foundational ideas and how he developed them and how it developed his practice and just hearing about some of his projects was amazing. Um, and how he really brought in this kind of cultural consideration in, into his work and how integral it was to the type of therapy he did and type of therapist he's become. And just hearing about his journey and his, his wisdom around the kind of the common factors and how to integrate these ideas into psychotherapy and it, how to integrate multiple ideas um, into, into family therapy, I thought was, was uh, really, really useful to hear. So I think people would take a lot from it. I, I took a lot from it. And um, I really hope people enjoy this episode as much as we did. So thank you, Harry. And there'll be links in the bio to some of his works because he's written a, the ama- amazing book about the person of the therapist and his ideas and development around that topic has been um, wonderful for our field. So really appreciate Harry Aponte and his time that he gave us. So yeah, we hope you will enjoy the episode. Welcome, Harry Aponte, to the Systemic Way podcast. Such an honor to have you with us. Yeah, I'm very glad to be with you. And um, on your birthday. So, yeah, so a really, yes, really happy birthday. Yeah. From us and all our listeners. 
happy birthday harry i hope you're going to have a great day and we feel very lucky to have you here well, my birthday. daughter's taking me out later on for for dinner so that should be some fun judy the way you said happy birthday i thought he was about to break into song there <laughs> i don't know if anyone needs to hear me sing happy birthday i could do it in a group fine but you know definitely not individually <laughs> <laughs> okay harry we've got uh an ambitious amount of things that we wanted to cover and speaking to you today. Um, right. we're, we're really interested to hear about your work and your development of many ideas that have been so influential in the field of family therapy. But we really want to hear um, initially really about some of those kind of early, early stages and the early developments and what drew you to family therapy, working with families, but also structural family therapy what were some of your kind of early connections well um you know i i graduated from college and i didn't really didn't know what i was going to do with myself um and um and then i saw that there was a a, a job opening at uh, catholic charities in uh, in new york and um and they they promised me that uh, I could they would pay for my um, master's program. I didn't have any money. I, I I grew up with with rather rather scarce, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, help to to do anything at all, and uh, so that uh, the offer of a of a free uh, scholarship to go to school to get a master's was seemed to be like a nice gift, and um, I started to work with them in uh, Manhattan. I was I was uh, born in, in 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 Spanish Harlem, but I really my parents moved to Black Harlem very very early in my life. So my my early ex I don't remember Spanish Harlem. I only remember Black Harlem. Uh, and that was my orientation. That was my my social context, you know. And uh, I only spoke Spanish at home, so it was the the kids in the street who taught me how to speak English. And I I I can I can still very clearly remember teacher calling my parents in and saying, "Why doesn't your son know how to speak English?" <laughs> uh, uh anyway i um i eventually managed to manage the, the language uh and but we were always a family of, of uh, scarcity so we we um uh, um my father was was a um uh would work in hotels just moving furniture and cleaning up and doing things like that and um and my mother was a seamstress uh, so we didn't have much money. Uh, I'm an only child, and um, uh, the uh, we went from Harlem, which is uh, the African American section of of Manhattan, to the South Bronx, where they put my mother wanted me to get a Catholic education, so she put me in a Catholic school, uh, which was good. 
you know, because there there were problems in the public school there, and um, uh, but still it was good, but it also wasn't good because um, it was all Irish. And I think there were one or two other uh, Spanish-speaking kids in the class, and one African-American kid, and and uh, we were treated like outsiders by by the by the teachers, which was very strange for me. I didn't, I had never had that experience before. Um, but um, nonetheless, uh, my uh, social environment was was as I was more conscious of my environment um, uh, was I, I hung around with the kids in my neighborhood and there was a mixture of every race you could think of, um, which, which was all right. Um, it was um, an education. Uh, and, um, you know, eventually when I uh, got out of uh I got to a Catholic high school. My mother was insistent that I get a Catholic education. So I got went to a Catholic high school and um uh and then like a Catholic college uh and they didn't have to pay in either place so we were given breaks because we didn't have any money so that they hadn't pay if they hadn't given me a break I would not have gone to been going to those schools. Um, but in any case, um, I, um, uh, I when, once I graduated from college, I uh, I found I was looking for a job. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but there was a job for a for social services in in a Catholic charities, and uh, and so I I went to work for them. They said, you know. You can come work for us, and we will pay for your schooling, for your for your masters in social work, which 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 they did. I appreciated that, and uh, I graduated from um, from Fordham University, and then uh, began to work in the neighborhood as part of my work as a social worker. But I also knew I was I didn't know anything. You know, I was working, but I I was I felt I felt very inadequate and very ignorant, and uh, and I saw an advertisement for uh, postgraduate training from the Menninger Clinic in um, in Topeka, Kansas, in the middle of the middle of the country. Well, I had no idea what Topeka, Kansas was. <laughs> okay, um, but um, but it looked like they were going to provide us to provide you with a, a really decent um, education and so I applied and I was uh, accepted me and um, and I ended up at the at the Menninger Clinic well for about eight years um, and that was very psychoanalytic um, and uh, that's what I was trained in originally and um i uh after i don't know after about 6 or 7 years there um i went to a ortho psychiatry conference in new york and um Braulio montalvo who worked with salvanuchin um was presenting and 
Virginia Satir and Maury Bowen and other well-known people in the field of, of family therapy were all presenting their various perspectives. And what uh, Braulio presented appealed to me because it, it spoke to uh, serving families that came from my environment, people who didn't have any money, didn't have any any uh, many many personal resources, and um, uh, and I began. I was, I was trying to write, get something published, and I sent it to him, and I asked for his opinion. Well, he didn't give me an opinion. I got a response from Sal Mnuchin. He said, I just moved from New York to Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic. I need somebody who who knows the environment because it was a completely African-American neighborhood, which is what I grew up in, actually. Uh, and I said, well, I'm in psychoanalysis myself now because the managers encourage you to, to go to um, get your own psychoanalysis. It charged me very little, uh, but that was five years of uh, of, of analysis, um, and um, uh, and Sal asked me if I could if I would join him, and I said no. I, I'm you know I I'm still in analysis. I'm not ready to to leave it yet. Next year he called me. Well, are you finished? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, and uh, I said, well, I guess I really am, you know. And and uh, so then I moved from Topeka, Kansas, to uh, to Philadelphia. Okay, I grew up in New York, but this was Philadelphia, and and the the clinic was the Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic, you know, which was um, for for the United States. That was one of the first clinics that served children. So mm -hmm. they had. At the, the the psychiatrists, the psychologists, and the social workers uh, serving the the children and 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 their families, and Sal had turned it into his structural family therapy um, institute. So he was training people from the neighborhood, and um, and I was trying to. I decided I needed to learn structural family therapy, which made sense to me. And 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 what what appealed to me about it was that. Um, he was serving uh, low-income families, families that were very much like my own family. You know, my fam my parents, I'm an only child. My parents were in New York. Um, so I, uh, that, that's what I was interested in. And, um, and I, uh, see, I was a, I was a Menninger's, I guess, probably about eight years and so I was really very much inducted into the psychoanalytic world. But then I threw myself into the structural family uh, uh, environment. And um, it, it made sense to me because Sal had actually come up with a uh, form of therapy that was geared to working with uh, deprived and socially deprived families. Uh, and that's that's what really interested me. I was interested in trying to serve my own people, okay? um, and this was a completely African American um, neighborhood, which was where I actually came from. Uh, and um, and I tried to mix psychoanalysis with with structural family therapy, and I realized I can't do that. I I really have to just forget psychoanalysis and just throw myself into structural family therapy. Um, 
and I did. And um, and it, Sal had come up with a with a concept about how to serve these families in a way that was practical. You know, he dealt with the relationships that they had. Um, he dealt with the lack of organization in so many of these families. And so when he talked about structure, he was talking about organization. So, the, you know, what were the boundaries in the family um, and who was in charge, who had responsibility to create, to create a, a system that could function. Or that, that was his goal. And, and, uh, and that worked. So that very much appealed to me. And, and, uh, and I... I incorporated that into what I was doing, and I feel let me just forget psychoanalysis. Let me focus on on structural family therapy, and which I did, and I became very comfortable with that. And I love the fact that I was able to to serve the people that I that I came from uh, in in the neighborhood of of uh, South Philadelphia. Uh, however. Um, the um, part of the community organized in order to to um, to really tell the clinic how to run, mm -hmm. how to really, yeah. do its service, how to serve the community, and, and um, uh, I still remember th this this one meeting that we had that Sal was with us with his. Hyatt with the administrators were meeting with about 20 people from the community, all African Americans. And then Sal said, you know, listen, you, you come from that environment, you know it better than we do, you better join us because we're not making any progress with them. Okay, so I said, all right, I'll, I'll join you. And, um, and sat in a meeting, they talked about their gripes and, and how they felt we were not serving them properly. And I didn't say a word. And then, uh, then at a certain point, they, they said, "We we we want to, uh, you know, just talk amongst ourselves." So you white people leave. Well, I'm thinking he doesn't know what he's talking about because I'm not going to get up and walk out of there. I'm not a white person. <laughs> I'm Puerto Rican, you know, um, and I have African background and so on. I mean, so I identified with them. They didn't realize I de identified with them, but. They didn't say anything, and so Sal got up and he looked at me like, "Why aren't you leaving with us?" <laughs> uh, well, I didn't say anything. I just stayed there, and they, they continued their meeting. Um, and then they couldn't stand it anymore. They said, "What? Why are you still here?" <laughs> I said, "Well, you said the white people. I don't think you meant that, you know. But you should have said, you know, people who belong to the clinic. But you said white, so I stayed here, you know." Uh, I said, oh, all, all right. They were still uncomfortable with me, but they continued their 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 meeting, and then um, uh, they then decided that well, they didn't want to meet with Sal. They wanted they'll meet with me, okay, since I seem to represent them, okay. Um, but then they they try to they were insistent on they were going to tell the clinic how it was going to run, do its business. And I said, you're not you're not capable of doing that. You don't have the education. You don't have the background. You can tell me what you need. You can tell me what's going on in the community. And we will relate to that. 
but you can't come in into the clinic and say this is how we should do therapy, you know. And uh, so we got a little, little bit of an argument. I can still remember their names, you know. And I said, well, you know, we're we're at a standstill here because I'm not going to let you come in here and try to run the clinic since you don't know anything about what we do, you know. And and uh, I know more about your your environment since that's what I grew up in, but you don't know anything about you know our environment and. Uh, uh, and they were insistent, and I said, "Well, that's the end of our meetings. I'm not going to meet with you guys, you know." Um, and so, so I, I could say that Sal, I think, could could have said that. I think it would have been a little bit intimidated. Um, and uh, so then I walked around the neighborhood and tried to find out who runs this neighborhood. You know what? What's the structure of the neighborhood? And I finally found one particular guy. African-American guy with a number of, of German shepherds in his storefront. And he knew who I was. He knew all that had taken place, you know, when I got there. And uh, he said, I don't want to meet with you. I said, well, I want to meet with you because I want to I want to relate to this community. And our clinic is not relating to the community, you know. And uh, so he was insistent and I was insistent. And I said, I want to come back. You know, he was a very intimidating guy. You know, a lot of people were very afraid of him. The police were afraid of him. Uh, he confronted Frank Rizzo, who was our mayor, and and so he had a reputation. But that was the only part of Philadelphia that had no gangs, no gang wars, because he was able to to appeal to the kids, and the kids uh, respected him, and everybody in the neighborhood was afraid of him anyway. You know. So I went back and I kept going back until finally he said, all right, let's talk. And then we talked and then he said, you know, uh, he says, it's a good thing I, you talk with me because they were going to beat you up, you know, and I told them not to touch you. And I said, good thing. I'm glad <laughs> you did that. You know, after all, we became friends. We ended up in the bars drinking and talking about what our mutual concerns were. And, and, uh, and I said, look, you, you're an expert with kids. We're experts with families. So we get together, we could do some good. And then we come up with the idea that we would um, uh, start a school for kids who were who were truants. So he said, uh, so I said, well, we've got to go to the to the uh, uh, superintendent of schools. He said, well, I can't go there. I don't know who they are. I said, I know them. That's my business. Well, I'll take you there. We'll meet with the superintendent of schools. We met with him, told, told him our idea about getting a building, setting up a small school in the community. And uh, and the guy said, well, you can do it if you can get these kids to come because they don't go to school. So I don't know why you think they're going to go to your school, you know, but if you want to do it, get your building, get started. But it has to start at 3.30. You're not going to compete with, with our school, even though they don't go to school. You can't compete with our school. Fine. So, well, you know, uh, this guy, Jim Lester, who was the guy that I was talking about, um, he went to the different homes where these families came from. Uh, they believed in him. They had trusted him. And uh, the next thing you know, um, he, he, he went to a TV station. He convinced them, intimidated them into doing a red telethon. They did a telethon, they raised money, they bought a building, we, they redid the whole building. It went to the university, then he went to the University of, of Penn and said, you must have some African-American students who are learning to be teachers. 
how about they using our school as a place where they can practice being a teacher? And they said, hey, that's cool. So they did that. And, um, and then he also said to the kids, and, you know, you have to be in at 3.30. And when when 3.30 comes, I lock the doors and you can't come in. Now, these are kids who not, were not going to school mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, I, I, I remember hiding out in the neighborhood so I could see what was going to happen. And I see these kids racing to go to school who were not going to school at all, you know, and they made it. And and um, uh, and they had the teachers there from, from Penn, uh, all African-American teachers, and the kids flourished. You know, they went on a regular basis. And then I remember one kid who went there and he was not dressed well, his hair was not combed, and uh, and and Jim went over to him and said, "You don't respect yourself, and if you don't respect yourself, I'm not going to respect you. You can't come to my school." Kids started to cry. These are kids who were never going to school. <laughs> went home, came back with his mother, and she convinced him that 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 she'll get him dressed nicely. And the kid dressed himself well, came in with his hair combed, learned how to be respectful. You know, Mr. Jim did Mr. This and Mr. That. And um, and the kids, we tested them. In a year's time, they advanced like a, like three three grades. I mean, they really got into their studies. They loved the school, and and the teachers were 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 really could relate to them. It was a very successful uh, experience for us, uh, and and we tested these kids, so so we knew what they were doing. And I we I, I went to the families. Get the got the families involved, and then we moved to the uh, our clinic moved to the campus of the of the uh, uh, of the University of Penn, and we we had our our uh, we worked we began to work from there, and um, and so I said to Jim, why don't you then forget the school, come into our building. And I'll give you a number of the of the school the the classes there, and you can teach them, uh, which is what he did. Um, a lot of the professional staff said, you know, he's not professional. He's not this. He's not that. He's not the other. I said, you know, but when he starts this class, every kid is present. Nobody, no, none of these kids are missing school. You know, they're learning from him. And then, and the, and the parents came in in the evenings, and they would have um, uh, uh, like a picnic for every any 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 parent who wanted to come in. They could come in and have and eat with them. And uh, the parents loved it. The kids loved them. Uh, the staff was still, you know, these are not professionals, you know. <laughs> I said, but these non-professionals. Are they're attending school? They never attended school before. They're doing well. The parents are all involved. What are you complaining about? You're complaining because they're not doing it your way, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so that was um, that was a very successful experience for me. And I, and what what I learned in that time was that Sal was doing his structural family therapy. And it was very successful, uh, very effective, except that he wasn't including the, the community. And he wasn't addressing 
the the social context, the social economic context of these children. So I said we have to address that. So I got I got certain staff who were more interested in doing that, and I I got the um, people who were legislators to come to visit the clinic to see what we were doing, and to make direct contact so that when these families had a problem with uh, heating or electricity or an inability to pay rent, they knew who the local representative was and the senator was because they were they were coming in to visit our clinic. They were seeing what we were doing with the families. Uh, and I really connected the people with, with the legislators, with the community, so that they weren't cut off from the resources that were there. Okay, and and that was very that that worked out very successfully, you know. I, um, and, and uh, eventually Sal stopped being the director. I became the director of the uh, Philadelphia Child Guidance Clinic. Uh, Sal was still there, um, but it was it was a um, uh, it was it was really or, the clinic became really more oriented to the children, their families. And their community, you know, which, which is why I ended up calling it eco-structural, you know, so that it was the 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 uh, uh, we were taking into account not only the families, but we were taking into account the community that they were in, and if they had problems with heating, with rents, with uh, with, with any kind of 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 uh, uh, of of you know normal social problems that. These families usually don't have recourse to, you know. Um, I was I got them connected to their to this congressman, who then um, took helped them with the rent, helped them with with uh, paying their utilities, uh, helped them to find apartments. So I connected the families with the resources in the community, and I and I that's what I was saying. I was saying, you know, we have to. If we're dealing with families who are so deprived, as I knew my own family was, you know, my family, my parents were still in New York, um, but we have to we have to make give them access to the community so they feel like they're part of the community and the community feels responsible for them. So that whether Lincoln Hospital or or whatever or the the schools that were there, whatever they needed. They now had telephone numbers. They could call the congressmen. These people who had no recourse before, now they now had telephone numbers. They had people they could talk to. They had legislators who would come and visit them in in, in the building. So we incorporated the work that we were doing with these families with the community. We made them part of the community, and we wanted the community to serve them. You know, which was not happening. Uh, 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 after that, so uh, eventually, uh, that that transformation uh, took place, and um, we had a good thing going. Uh, I eventually left and started my own uh, in institute to train people in structural family therapy, but I. But it was really an eco-structural. I wanted them to say, you, you have to address the families, but you also have to address the families in the context of their community. And the community has to be involved, and you have to be involved. 
and you have to know the community and you have to know who the legislators are. Okay, you have to be part of the community because that's what they're dealing with, and that's where that's where the deprivation is. Okay, so we did that. I had my own institute for for training uh, family therapists, and I went off on my own, uh, and um, you know, so that uh, I, as, as far as I was concerned, you know, the the, the structural family therapy was excellent except it needed another dimension a real connection with the community which with that we did and that's what i taught okay so i i uh, i i had my own private practice my own training uh institute and i've been on uh on my own ever since and that's virtually what i do so that a lot of my writing has to do with the, the people who are deprived people who who lack social resources and uh, and I have the same philosophy, and I still remember people from, from interns from the uh, uh, and fellows from the children's hospital, all white. Um, nothing wrong with being white, except that they came in and they didn't like the families they were sending them. We were sending them these poor families, and mm-hmm. they said, "We want we want some real families." He said, "Oh, you, these are not real families." The ones that we're sending you, you know, uh, so we had a little bit of a problem there, you know, and and, um, uh, and but you know, so be it. Uh, and then I I I I made contact with the schools that the kids were 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 attending, and uh, and I and I said to the intake people at that. Uh, at child guidance, I said, when when the schools come and they want to refer a child, tell them that we will have the first interview in the school with the teacher that had the problem, with the counselor, and with the principal or vice principal. I want somebody with authority in there. Um, and at first they said, well, they couldn't do it. I said, well, tell them to call us back when they can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so very soon they were calling us back. And uh, and then we started to do interviews in the schools, you know, and 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 it made all the difference in the world because the schools didn't know what the family situations were, and the, and the parents didn't know what the school situation was, and they made a connection between the parents and and the schools, and they began to work together, and the principals began to get used to that idea that that is not such a terrible thing, that the parents were actually supporting these children. Um, and we solved problems that couldn't have been solved if if there hadn't been that kind of, of of connection with them. So that a lot of my writing and lecturing has been, you know, if you're going to serve the poor, then you have to serve their community as well as them and their families. You know, so that I I I, I adopted the uh, structural family therapy, but I also ex- try to expand it so that it took into account the social and community context that they. That the families lived in, and we had to then involve the 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 people with power, congressmen, and so on. They came to the clinic. They knew what we needed. They gave us telephone numbers that we gave to the families, and so we try to incorporate so that the families would feel this community serves us. You know, it's not just serves them; it serves us. Okay, and that really made a difference in in the. Uh, uh in in the way we were serving these families and and uh, we had a lot of very interesting stories that 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 took place and and um 
I, I still remember um, uh, we had an apartment there for for families, and uh, and I uh, and I still remember one family that was hospitalized was a, a mother. I still remember her name and and her child. I I don't know how old he was. I, I, I I'm I'm going to have to guess and say maybe like eight years old or something like that. Well. The problem was that this was had gone to court because the mother had a boyfriend and he just wanted to discipline this kid. And the way he disciplined him was he put him up against a, a, a heater that burned mm-hmm. the side of his leg. And so then we said, this woman has to go into the apartment with the kid. You know, and I had the lawyers involved. I always wanted to involve the community, you know, and the lawyers uh, on, on both sides. Uh, they got involved, and then uh, uh, one evening I was there late, and I get a call from the apartment from the staff that they said, so and so she wants to see her boyfriend. He's he called her up, and I said, this is the guy who burnt the kid. Never mind, he, he's not allowed to see her. He they said she insists on seeing her. Well, let's send her down to me. So she came to see me, and I said, you know, look, you know. This is the kid, this is the man who abused your child, and you want to visit him now, you know, in this apartment, and I, I can't allow that. You know, she said, I don't care. I said, well, if you don't care, if you walk out of here to see this guy, I'm calling up, and you're going to lose your child immediately. So she said, I don't care. So she walked out. I picked up the phone, called, called Human Services, and said, this is what's going on. They said, all right, we'll take the kid, you know, and... um and so they did take the kid from her, and and, uh, and then we 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 needed a, a, a some parents to force the parents to take care of them. And I and I was trying to figure out who we could have. And in the nursery, we had a volunteer who happened to be the wife of of Joe Frazier, the the boxer. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> and we said to her. Would you like to take this kid who has nobody to take care of him? They said she said yes, of course, and he said yes, and he had he had, he had some yes. There were some other older children there, and uh, I saw them, and they were they loved this kid. The kid loved them, and they, they had a very a wonderful environment to live in, you know. So you know, it, it was a matter of never restricting these families so that they felt the community was really there for them, mm-hmm. that there were there people in the community who cared about them, you know, and I still had, I had uh, 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 people from the legislature come to visit us, and I had people who, uh, I remember one one company that they sold glasses, and I invited them to come in, and they said, well, well, we'll give glasses to whatever kids need glasses, so I try to in, in, always integrating the families with the community, so that the families would feel we belong, mm-hmm. you know, and that these are our resources. Okay, so so that that that's why I ended up calling it eco structural, you know, instead of just structural. Yes, Sal had the, the essence of it, and it was excellent work, but I just wanted to expand it so that these families would feel like they were part of the communities that 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 they were in. Okay, and that that became then really my um really my goal in life was to say that therapy is for the poor as well as for the rich you know mm-hmm. and uh, and I wanted to write about that and I wanted to write, to write about therapy that would serve the poor 
Um, and and it, they got published. You know, Bread and Spirit was my the book that I that I that I put out um, with all of my articles that dealt with uh, with these with these families. And uh, this was my satisfaction when I was feeling I'm I'm serving the people that I came from. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 but you have to get out into the community and you have to get to know the community and you have to make connections with the community. You know, and and. Uh, and when the families would tell me, well, I call welfare and I, I can't get anybody on the phone. So I call welfare and I said, I want somebody assigned to to these to these families. So when they call, they know who's calling and mm-hmm. they're going to serve them and they're going to be listened to and treated with respect. They did that, you know, so then the families could be connected to the community. The community now serves them, you know, and it was a, it was an integration mm-hmm. of Making these families, you know, this is your community, and your community should be serving you, mm-hmm. and that's what happened, you know. And and so then on, then on, I I ended up, you know, working on my own. I have my own private practice, you know. But my 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 heart was still there with mm-hmm. with these families, and that's what I was writing about. That's what I talk about a lot, and uh, that's where my commitment is. So that you know, therapy is for whoever needs it. Mm. You know, and therapy is not just for for elite people. Like I remember people at Menninger saying, "These people are not capable of making good use of therapy." I mm. said, "You're not capable of serving them. You don't know how to serve them. That's why they're not capable of it." You know, and no problem that with their coming into the clinic, no problem with their looking for the help that we had to offer them because it related to them and it related to their community and it related to the resources that they needed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, that was, that was my, that was my responsibility as a therapist, you know, and that's, that's where we are right now. I have my own private practice. And, you know, if somebody can't pay, they don't pay anything, you know, that, that doesn't help me in my, my pocket, but then nevertheless, it helps them, you know, because I, I figure, you know, I, my family couldn't have afforded therapy, but I'm not going to turn people down just because they don't have money, you know. So uh, I, I'm, I'm doing the work that I love to do. I'm doing the work with the families that I love to do. So I see people who are well-to-do, people who have no money. And a lot of the people that I see don't pay anything. Some of them pay a lot of money. It all depends on what they're capable of paying, you know. Mm-hmm. But I want to relate to to the whole community and not just to a portion of the community. Harry, thank It's amazing. Thank you. It's so incredible. I can see Cesar nodding as well. I mean, I guess I can really hear your ethics, your values, you living, breathing, walking, doing what you know you in the way that you want and especially in terms of you know thinking about community and working with community um I I suppose one question that I had in mind because I had so many so many thoughts and questions was I was just wondering obviously when you started out that was a particular period of time um and and I was just wondering what do you think would be different or the same or now if you were to go out to work with a community do you think it would work in the same way or do you think it would be a different kind of approach that would be needed well i i i, I don't know what 
what would be different, you know, mm -hmm. because my my point in in uh, training people and supervising people with uh, who are low income and deprived is that uh, their deprivation isn't just you know we don't have a job we're, we're dealing with with uh, people who just are not connected to the resources that the community has. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do therapy with them, you do therapy with the family, but you also incorporate the community and its resources, you know, so so that so that the the therapists who I supervise who work with these families, okay, they look at they I if they're going to be under my supervision, it's going to be you're going to have to serve these families, but not only serve them as a family, but serve them as part of a community, you know, and they have to have the resources of the community available to them. And they don't have the money to buy a, a private school. They don't have the money to buy a, a fancy suburban neighborhood or home. Uh, you, you have to provide them help them to get the resources they that are there if we get active ourselves and help them and encourage them to do that. And I think it'll work and it has worked. Thanks. I, I guess what I was thinking about, I was wondering about resources, exactly what you were saying. And I was wondering if in a different political climate that resources shift, like are the same resources available? Like I think what I'm hearing from you is that there are resources you work with what you've got and that's enough and that's the hope for people well, you know it, it, yeah. it, it's a matter of being aggressive mm -hmm. you know so that i i i would um I, I would go to the superintendent of schools okay if i if i needed to do that i would go to the principals of schools and 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 do that uh, I sent people out to go to the to the African American churches to talk with the ministers there and say we're available, you know, and we'll off, we'll we'll do the work in your environment if you want us to do that in your environment. Okay, so you can't just sit at home, you know, uh, and expect them to come to you. you. You have to go out and create a network that serves the people. And you have to be convincing enough so that the people you talk to out there say, "Oh, this seems this seems to make sense," you know. Uh, and and, and um, uh, I, I I still remember uh, he published an, uh, I had him publish an article on this. There was a, um, a therapist that I was that I was supervising he had been an architect, uh, had family problems, and so he was no longer doing architecture he got into social work and um uh and i and i i said you know the kinds of families that you're going to be dealing with in he was working at, as, as a social worker in a, in a local hospital i said you know th these are the families that are really deprived these are not families that are well endowed with lots of money and they can then pick their private uh, practitioners and uh would you be willing to do that he said sure I'd be glad to do that uh and but then the problem was that for me anyway is that he had a better vocabulary than I had he was much better educated than I was I said I don't know how he's going to relate to these to these people um but he um he got w one particular um client and he would videotape his work with her 
And she was a girl that had run away from home because she was being uh, um, uh, she she was being abused in, in the home that she was in. Her mother was there, a, a, a brother who was abusing her, and um, so she ran away from home. And uh, she was in her teens, uh, late teens, and. Um, she found a, quote, sponsor, a guy who said, oh, I'll take care of you, honey. Well, she knew what the price was. The price was that he had, she had to live with him. And uh, she accepted that because that was the only place she could have, uh, you know, she could live and get 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 some food. Um, uh, but, but she still wanted to go get some education. So, so, he, so she was assigned to this particular therapist, and I'm thinking, this guy is a former architect. He has a vocabulary that's, that I have trouble understanding all the time because it's so, you know, erudite. And and uh, But he wanted to do the work. So he started to work with her. And um, she was a little cautious with him at first. But after a while, she realized he really was committed to, to working with her. And uh, he helped her to lead this guy. And he helped her to get some money so that she could she could get an apartment of her own. Uh, she had a trouble with with the landlord in the new place because there was people were robbing her, taking her uh, mail. So we, we went to the housing authority, and she then she was like a lawyer. She she then got all of her uh, evidence to show that she was paying her rent on time that her mail was being robbed by other people in the building that the, that she was in and she needed to go to a new place. And he helped her to speak for herself. She represented herself very well. Um, and they they listened to her. They gave her a new building, a new apartment to, to live in. Uh, she then went to community college and she she got her a GED. She got her, so so she was she got her high school diploma by by just taking a test. She was bright. She just had just had run away from school, and uh, so I still remember um, the, the, when he was finishing his work with her, and um, she had now uh, she was now going to community college. She had her own personal apartment. She had a, a part-time job, and um, and she said to him, she said, you know, I kept waiting to see if you were going to do what this other guy was going to do, mm-hmm. but you didn't. You were very respectful of me, and you really just supported me so that I could do well. And now I'm 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 in school. I'm I have a part-time job. I have a good apartment, uh, and I really just want to thank you for it. And uh, he's just said, "Well, I'm I'm glad to have done that for you and have been available to you." Well, what what was uh, because of who he was, he used to bring notes, give me the notes, but he 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 had he had it recorded all their sessions, and so I said to him, "You know, you have to publish this, <laughs> you know, because." We have to see how you bridge this this vacuum that existed between you and her, you and her world, mm-hmm. you know, and you were able to do that. And, and she was able to learn from you. And the fact was that this was a gifted woman who was gifted and you gave her the opportunity 
to get the kind of education she needed, the kind of work that she needed, and it was a very successful work. So he published it, and uh, and a lot of people have been requesting copies of that of that article because he had he had word for word some of the sessions that they had, you know. Uh, so you know you could you 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 really can deal with people who are very different from you. And uh, he was able to c- c- cross that bridge with her, and she felt respected by him, and she respected herself as a result, and she did very well as a result. And I was just glad to have somebody like like he was working with her. We were able to publish it and say, you know, it doesn't. Ha- you don't have to have somebody from the same race, same background to work with these families, but you have to be respectful of them. Okay, and it, the, a lot of people have been requesting copies of uh, of that uh, particular uh, article of his, and I'm I'm very proud of him, and I'm very pleased with what he was able to do. Where, where would people find that article? I'll, I'll give it to you when we're finished. I'll give you the the resource. Lovely. Okay. Great. Um, and I'll I'll put it up. I'll put a link maybe for people yes, to, to find it. Um, Harry, so many questions are going through my mind. I, I want to kind of come back to the Jim Lester story that blew me yeah. away. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a film ever made about this. It sounds like you've got a screenplay for a movie in in that part of your story. Oh, he, he was, I mean, he was a real character, you know, because I, uh, I I remember telling me once one story, but the police were afraid of him. And they were going to break into his house one day, and he uh, uh, he he got behind some uh, a barrier there, and he said to them, "I've got a gun, and I'm and I'm behind this thing, and if you want to come in, you can come in, but you're going to have to deal with my bullets as they come at you." And the cops, they they they, they he finally talked them out of trying to go in. He hadn't done anything. They just suspected him of all kinds of things, but he hadn't done anything. It was just a tough guy, you know. So they respected him, and and uh, uh, and what I really admired about the guy, he respected himself. He respected the kids, and he got the people to respect him. And even the cops, even though they they were afraid of him, some of them were afraid of him, you know. They also respected him. So it it it, it it's a matter of of of. They're respecting themselves, we respecting them, and then we can have uh when there are issues, they can be talked through. They can you can find solutions for them. You don't have to try to intimidate somebody or treat them like they're trash, and then they're gonna take whatever you give them. You know, he expected to be respected, and they were respected by him, and and it would be created a model for how the families and the individuals in the community should be treated. And he taught them that, you know, and they 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 were respected in return by the police. Some of the police didn't like him because they were scared of him, you know. But nonetheless, um, the community liked him, you know, because he taught them to get respect from the police. And the police was now serving them rather than imprisoning them in the neighborhood. And, um, I, I'm thinking about that shift when, in bringing the kind of eco-structural approach and bringing, really serving the community. And I wonder, I'm, I'm wanting to know a little bit about what some of those diff, 
what some of the possible difficulties were and the challenges you faced in doing therapy in this way or, you know, this kind of community approach? What were some of the barriers or the pushbacks you might have had, either from the community, but also even the kind of therapy community, you know, the kind of professional, this is not how we do therapy, perhaps. I just wonder yeah, what well, came back I to mean, you. In, in terms of in terms of the professional community, um, it, it 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 was when they would ask me to do some teaching in in various agencies. You know, my message to them was, if you expect to to do this work in your office all the time, you know, you don't need me to talk with you. If you if you expect to serve these 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 people in this community. They have to see you going out into the community. They have to see you opening doors for them. They have to see you training them, supporting them so that they could make use of these resources in the community. Then you have a therapy that addresses them in the context of the community that they were in. Okay, so that was my message. And uh, and I, I, I never backed down on that message and, and, and it worked. You know, when people felt respected, you know, and not just cater to and treat it like, you know, poor little thing. You know, these are real people who have, who have a dignity. They needed to be treated as dignified people, but they also needed to have doors open to them so that there was there was hope, you know, that something could really be done and accomplished. And if, and if it meant that the therapist had to go into the community or had to call a legislator, then so be it. You know, that's what it's if that's what it requires and that's what you do. So it 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 it's a different way of working. And not everybody buys into that, but I'm I'm just saying to them, you know, um these families are dealing with with a with a with an environment that is not hot that is not supportive of them. You know, these families are dealing with an environment that has resources but is not making them available to them. So these these families need to know how to deal with them, and these resources need to know how to respect them, and in in return. And if you can mobilize pastors and ministers and others in the community to work with you, it'll be to your advantage instead of you just trying to do it all by yourself. So you really have to relate to the people, to their families, as well as uh, to the community that they come from. And what about the actual communities um, and maybe some of the suspicions they might have had around, you know, how you described it earlier with the kind of the, the sound minutiae and those meetings with the families. And what was the some kind of the, yeah, the, the main challenges and how you overcame them to, to oh, the really main connect? Is that there was always suspicion, you know, what do you want? <laughs> you know, and, and do you really respect us? Uh, and so uh, this was very, for me, it was nothing. It was it was no challenge because this is what I grew up in, mm-hmm. you know. But then, but for, for a lot of the therapists who didn't know those communities, it was a challenge. It, it wasn't, it, it, there was difficulty for them. Some couldn't do the work and some could. And if you can do it, then do it. If you can't do it, then oh, there are other families that need help, you know. So I'm not prejudiced against them. Okay, I just want to know who's comfortable doing this. And if you're doing it, take the community into account, you know, and enlist the community as part of the work that you're doing as a therapist. And if you do that, 
you're more much more likely to be successful. Harry, we were wondering whether now might be a, a good place in our conversation. I mean, I know you've spoken a lot about culture in in the conversation so far, but if you had some other things that we'd love to hear from you about sort of the importance of thinking about culture and cultural considerations in the work. Well, you know, it, it it's um, when you have money, you can buy yourself a new house in a new neighborhood uh, if you don't like the old neighborhood, <laughs> and you can you can create your own environment. You know, the more the more power you have, the more uh, uh, influence you have over over the environment that you live in. And when you when you don't have the money, then you're uh, you have to adjust to the environment that you live in and make the most of it. Um, so you know, it, it, it's 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 just a it's just a perspective, you know, so that um, uh, understanding where people come from, and it's not just the poor, you know, it, it, it can be from any, any environment that you come from, you know, what country do you come from, you know, what, what's your heritage, uh, and I think it, 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 it is, um, if you really want to understand people, you really have to understand them with their culture. Just because they happen to be living in America doesn't mean that they, you know, discard their culture. They don't discard their culture. I don't discard my culture, you know. Um, and, and and so I, I just think that that should be something that should be considered when excuse me, when you're doing therapy and that's, I'm there and I'm still there. And so whether I'm seeing people who are very wealthy and they happen to be from this country or that country or this culture or that culture, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was good for me to go to the Menninger Clinic, for example, because mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I came from right, right from the ghetto to the Menninger Clinic, and at the Menninger Clinic at that time, this is in the 60s, um, uh, I don't know how they financed things at all. I, I was too naive at this time. But when I was there, I, I was seeing uh, movie stars. I was seeing uh, people who were heads of corporations. I had, uh, uh, I, I, as a social worker, I dealt with the families of the patients who went into the hospital. And some of these families uh, had um, gotten Nobel Prizes and so on and so on. So this was a, a world that was completely foreign to me, you know. Um, and uh, and that was good for me, you know, because at, at first I felt very inadequate, and I was inadequate. I couldn't I, I couldn't speak as well as they could speak. I couldn't express myself as well as they could uh, they could express themselves. Um, but I also knew that they were learned to see that the humanity that they had, and I was able to deal with their humanity, and I was able to then take into consideration 
the differences that we had. I had my uh, my culture, they had their culture, and I began to make that a kind of adjustment to them. So it wasn't the other way around. You know, I guess they had to adjust to me too, you know, yeah. but but it was it was a lesson for me and i and i got over my intimidation of being with people who were much better educated than i smarter than i was richer than i was um they taught me you know to um uh, respect them but also to respect myself and um i always talk about this one particular guy who who was a rancher and his wife was in the hospital and um well, you know, the only ranchers I knew were Gary Cooper and whoever else was in the movies, you know, <laughs> John Wayne. Um, um, but we made a connection. We made a human connection. And when we were done, he 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 gave me a, a hand-carved wa- wallet, you know, uh, which was, to me, was like, wow, you know, because uh, I, I think I was, I was earning that, I think it was like $5,000 a year was my income. <laughs> You know, you know, when I when I first went to work there, um, eventually it got a little more respectful in <laughs> income, <laughs> but um, but it was very little, and um, and it didn't get in the in, in our way. You know, uh, I realized that guy really cared about me, and I really cared about him, and it, it helped me to break down some of my own prejudices about people who were different from me. Okay, uh, so that helped me when I came back to my old neighborhoods so that I talk about, you know, white middle class adjusting to 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 low-income people, but also with low-income people learning to adjust themselves to people who have money and position and not be intimidated by them. They're human also. They have hurts and they have, they have fears, they have anxieties, and they need help. Um, so it, it expanded me and help me to be more comfortable with no matter who I was talking with. Mm-hmm. Harry, um, I'm, I'm interested in some of the kind of adaptations that took place um, on the structural model to include a more kind of cultural lens or cultural thinking. Uh, I guess one of the kind of critiques um, of a structural family therapy is this quite, which can be quite a normative idea at times, this might be a crude description of the approach, though, of family roles and boundaries and family rules. Um, and may- maybe this is the kind of the early stages of, of the, the structural family therapy. And I'm wondering, as it developed and a more kind of cultural awareness came into it, what kind of adaptations were made to the approach to, to be more culturally um, aware? Well, you know, you you have to um you you have to one adapt yourself and open yourself to who are they where do they come from you know um what country do they come from um you know what what do they consider respectful what don't they consider respectful um what do uh and uh it, it, it's um uh it, to me it's like l- learning their language the language is not just what they say but the language is also uh, how they respect one another and how they the, what they what kind of respect they expect from us you know as 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 therapists 
Um, I, I remember my working with uh, a Jewish family and a couple, and they were Orthodox. Um, well, I began to work with them, and the work seemed to be going well. And then I learned what they, that what they were doing is that after every session with me, they go to their rabbi, and they. <laughs> It's saying, this is what he said, this is what he told us to do, and he gave them he gave them his blessing. He said, it's going well, you're being respected, you know, and, and our culture is being respected. So, uh, so I was glad. I was glad that I was able to be sensitive to them, and they could feel the respect, and their rabbi could, could see them and give them the, the blessing to work with me. Um, so, so that it's, it's not just working with poor people. You know, it's also working with people from other cultures, whether they ha happen to be Islamic or whether they, you know, uh, whatever it is, um, understanding what rules them and what they value uh, and how they expect to be treated. Uh, and, th and that still goes, you know, that still goes today. I have, I have people who are from... Uh, uh, from Iraq, who uh, who have been living here for some time now, the professionals, and 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 I I have to learn there there's certain idiosyncrasies that they have, and I have to learn to respect those idiosyncrasies and work with them and through them, so so that um, you know that's part of their language, that's part of what defines them. And how might you go in? Oh, I think we're going to say the same thing. <laughs> you go for a sense. <laughs> And kind of, yeah. I, I guess where where my question comes from is some of the danger for me um, is I I could if I'm not very careful I can fall into like stereotypes around families and families culture. Sure. And, and I'm, I'm wondering what strategies you might employ in working with families to learn their particular culture and their language. You know, it it really comes down to listening with caring. You know, so it's it's rather than asking a lot of questions, I pay attention to how they behave with me, how they behave with each other, um, and, and if I pay attention, I learn. Okay, and as I'm not intrusive by asking you know silly questions about what is your custom in doing that 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 that, you know, but I do listen to them and I do listen to their language and I do listen to how they they treat each other and how they treat me, okay, and I try to accommodate to that to whatever extent that I can, and I've been pretty successful at doing that. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Harry. I guess. With with the listing, is there a way, I suppose that's the feedback that you're talking about and how you know is how it's going, how it's going in, in the room. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. if if I'm if I listen if I listen with with all of myself and not just listening to yeah. the words, but watch their behavior, you know, are they comfortable? Are they not comfortable? Who's sitting where? You know, what's the hierarchy amongst amongst themselves? You know, how do they expect me to treat them, to treat the child, to treat the parent, to treat the mother, to treat the father? You know, so if it, it, it I have to be receptive and I have to be open, you know, and um, and if I make a mistake because I didn't understand something, then I just ask them to explain to me what happened, you know, and I'm. I'm, I'm all ears so that they feel 
this is somebody who is really interested in us. This is somebody who's interested in how we do things and how we think. You know, and then so whatever work I'm going to be doing with them, whatever interventions I'm going to be making, they're, they're going to fit who they are, you know. And then we learn to to work in a way that that is comfortable for them and comfortable for me. Yeah, it makes me think, Harry, if on your website, which I wrote down because I loved it that you you have written underneath. I think it's underneath your name. Says therapy is an experience, not conversation yes. and I guess that's sort of what you're touching upon here yeah it is you know because it, 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 the um, in psychoanalysis you know you, you the classical psychoanalysis the uh, the analysts try to be you know tavula rasa you know so that you you didn't really know who it, who was there and what they were thinking, and you projected your own thoughts onto them, uh, and they analyzed that. But when we're dealing with our clients face-to-face, we're engaging them, there really is a relationship. You know, they're human, I'm human. You know, I need to be treated in a certain way, they need to be treated in a certain way. And it really, it's really a matter of, of, for me it is, of paying attention to them, you know, paying attention to how they express themselves and what's important, what hurts them, what makes them feel good, um, and and adjusting to that where, where I can. Okay. Um, it, it, it's, um, it, it's engaging people in, in a way that feels comfortable to them, but also that tells me something about them. Because if I can, their the language isn't, doesn't come just from their mouths. The language also comes from the way they behave with me. Okay? They, they'll communicate things with me just simply by the way they sit, they look, etc. Um, and and I, I have to be responsive and attentive to what they're c- communicating, at least what I think they're communicating, so that uh, we're really c- connecting with one another. And they can trust me and I can trust them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's making me think about the next bit of the kind of the, your writing and your thinking about the use of self, the therapist, mm-hmm. and you, you you've written a lot about the importance in training for psychotherapists to to right. gain kind of greater insights into their self psychologically, culturally, spiritually, mm-hmm. and yeah, just wanted to hear a bit more about your thoughts of how, how those ideas kind of came to your came to you to really want to focus on that? And what are some of the kind of, yeah, key, key thinking around the use of self? Well, you know, it, 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 it's um, it, it's not like I invented this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, Freud talked about counter-transference, you know, what what we um, project upon our, our, our patients and our clients uh, to pay attention to that. But his idea was to that we should then go undergo our own analysis to rid ourselves of our prejudices and our own perspectives, so that so that when we are dealing with our clients, okay, they're really dealing with somebody who is in some sort of way uh, free of of a lot of these uh, cultural 
uh, assumptions and, and and perspectives so that so that we could we could we're not in the in the position of 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 assuming they feel this or assuming they feel that because they may not be assuming that we may assume that but they don't assume that we really have to pay attention to them we really have to be tuned into them and when they uh present their their issues whatever troubles they're having okay uh we can ask them what they're feeling we can ask them what they're going through we need to pay attention to really pay attention to that but we need to pay attention to it in a way that we feel it not just that we hear it because they're not going to be in the position generally of 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 being very articulate and giving us you know a perfect uh uh picture of what's going on with them but they will tell us a lot if we pay attention to it okay and and um uh you know so that how do i do that i know the way i do that is that um i have to see myself as vulnerable i have to be aware of my own hang-ups my own issues my own struggles my own prejudices okay uh, i remember when i first was going going to go into psychoanalysis i said oh i'm going to have all these things worked out you know and well i didn't work them all out okay <laughs> but what it did for what it did for me though is made me conscious of myself it made me conscious of what i was thinking what was what was prompting me uh experiences that i had and how that was influencing me so i i used that in my work so when i'm sitting down with people and they they start describing a situation i try to get a a, a picture of it i try to get a feeling for it and very often what i do is i go into my own life experience something that was similar to that may not be the same as that but it's it's similar in, in enough way so that i can begin getting a sense of gee this is this is really hard you know because have i worked out through all of my issues god forbid i wish i did but you know, i have them and 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 if i'm able to be honest with myself about what my issues are and why i can't overcome certain issues and why some of them are really very difficult for me then it's not hard for me to understand why they can't overcome their particular issues and what those issues are and how those issues are affecting them uh and uh and and, and so uh i i i i really i try to relate to them with all of who i am they don't know it they don't know what i'm thinking they don't know what memories i'm having uh what i'm going back to that's making me feel resonate with with what they're presenting but i'm conscious of it you know and and i and sometimes it it helps me and sometimes it doesn't help me but most of the time if i'm really sensitive to it i can get a feeling for what they're talking about and not just get the words that they that they're sharing with me i can get a sense of what they're struggling with i can get a sense of why it's so hard for them you know i well this is hard for me this is hard for them you know um and and then what's behind that say so that i i i in a certain sense try to get into their shoes you know and, and it um 
uh, instead of having them free associate as they would if they were in an an psychoanalytic situation, okay, okay, I'm I'm trying to to um, so connect with them that that I'm that I not only hear them but I feel them, okay, and but I can only do that if I can go into my own memories, into my own experiences. And then I can, I, I, it, it gives me, it, 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 it's never exactly the same as what they're talking about, but it gives me some hint as to what they're talking about, what it is that they're dealing with, why it's such a problem for them, why it's so hard for them, how then should I approach them? Okay, so I'm, so I'm working with them in, in, a, in a more intimate way than they realize that I am with them. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I was wondering what helps you to sort of, you know, and, and I think you talk about it in terms of using your your whole self as a therapist, and you've just described that very clearly, I think, to us. Um, I suppose I'm thinking of what what can help people as in the therapist role or when you're in 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 a room to sort of stay present in that way in terms of using your whole self because I think it can be quite easy sometimes maybe to to not be using those parts of yourself do you have things that help you to kind of stay present in that way well you know it, it it's um it's having to get get to a place where I accept the fact that in our humanity we all have flaws you know so that um no matter who we are, how good we are, we all have struggles with parts of our personality. You know, I may be too demanding, I may be too controlling, I may be too intimidated, I may do this, that, or the other. But we all have some of this stuff that comes from, you know, how we were raised and what our personality is like. And uh, instead of treating that like, um, you know, I have the leprosy and I should stay away from them, you know, I, I I I say, okay, this is my humanity, and when they start talking about some of their issues, I try to see whether there's anything in my life experience that resonates with what they're talking about. And it can be a little bit distant. Sometimes it can be very close to to what they're talking about, but there's always some way or another that I can that I can bounce off of them and then feel them, experience them. And so it gives me, allows me to have more intuition about what's happening. So I know what questions to ask and I know how to approach them. And, and if I make a mistake, then I, I recognize that. And I, and I want to know, I want to understand what the mistake was, why the mistake and what was it that tripped it so that uh, I learn. So that I mean, as a therapist, I, I'm, I'm always wanting to, to take in the person and and and, and to um, allow them to touch me, to experience me, you know, and and I want to experience them, and and, and uh, knowing that, then I don't cross boundaries because I know I know what I'm doing, and I know why I'm doing it, okay, uh, and I use it to teach myself and I use it to guide myself. You know, so that it, it makes me more intuitive when, as a therapist, 
than I would have been otherwise. I don't just listen to what they say or observe their 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 behavior. I also experience. I want to know how I experience them. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to. There has to be a vulnerability in me that says, you know, I need to, I need to allow them to intimidate me a little bit, you know. Um, uh, and, uh, and to touch me in a certain way, to challenge me in a certain way, and, and then take that as this is a communication. So, so what, what do I learn about them when they do this? And then I can do different things with that, you know, but, but, but it's another way of hearing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Harry. That, that to me, what you just said is so helpful when I think about my, my own process um because sometimes i you know i think intuition you've used that word and i think you've kind of um articulated it in a a sort of a way well i think the words i'm going to go to your words that i read that it sort of breaks it down into what's being conscious of yourself and then actively kind of engaging and using it in a purpose purposeful way Mm -hmm. in the room um and it's sort of, I suppose, sometimes when I hear that word intuition, I think of it as like it's a bit out there. But I think you've shown how it's actually just quite a practical, real thing that, and this is how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you. I'm sure. Lo- I hope. I'm sure lots of other people find it helpful. Says, you look like you got a question, so oh, yeah. jump in. I, 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 I. This is a relationship. Mm. You know, this is this isn't psychoanalysis. This is a real relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm relating to them; they're relating to me, mm. and and I need to take in all that I can of them. But I but I can't do that if I can't be honest about myself. Yeah. Okay, so that when I do the training, I, I I I try to train the therapists to be conscious of their own weaknesses, their own fallacies, their own problems, their own issues, and and say, you know, this is human. You're human. I'm human. I have mine, and I'm not going to tell you what all of mine are, and you don't have to tell me all what yours are. But it will help you to to pay attention to what you have and what you deal with and what you struggle with. Mm-hmm. You know, you get easily intimidated. You need to control people. You know, and so on and so on and so on. But it, it it's being comfortable with your own humanity as is, your own vulnerability as is, mm-hmm. and 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 to use that as as something that takes in information and the information is what I'm experiencing from them. So I, I, yeah, I listen to what they have to say and how they behave with me, but I also want to know how I experience myself. And that gives me information that I can use and I can, I always have to check it out, but I have ways of of checking it out and I have ways of using it. And, um, and it just makes me a more intuitive therapist with people. And sometimes I, I I will even do the reverse, in in, in a sense of uh, of um, uh, the, the the story I give I I often tell is uh, dealing with a, with a couple, um, well-to-do upper middle-class couple, husband and wife, and um, uh, and I'm sitting with them, and she has her uh, her legs tightly you know shut and her arms tightly crossed and she's not talking 
uh, this is a very bright lady. And uh, and the guy who is a professional in another field, um, he's there pompously saying this, that, and the other, you know, and she's not responding. And um, uh, and, and then uh, I, I say to her, um, you're afraid of this guy, aren't you? You know, and she says, yes, I am. You know, and I could just see that he wants to control everything. So as soon as she said that, I mean, I, I didn't expect the, the response. He got really angry. And then the next thing I know, he's he's practically standing over her and, and yelling at her, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, he's bigger than I am, you know, and uh, and I'm not going to let him hurt her, you know, and I started this thing. What am I going to do? How do I disarm him? Well, you know, from my own training, from where I grew up, you fight. <laughs> and and um, that, that comes very naturally to me. Uh, and but this is not the place to get into a fight. <laughs> so, so I, so what I, what came to me was, and it was just unusual that I would, I, I allowed myself to think of it. I'm afraid of this guy, you know. But very often in a fight, you are afraid before you get into the fight, you know. But you just have to get into the fight. But I, I, I paid attention to the fear that I had, and I thought maybe this will work. So I said to the guy, "Hey, John." And he, 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 we had a good relationship. So he, he says, yeah. You know, I, I, I just stopped him in his tracks. I said, I'm afraid of you right now. I would have never, as, in my neighborhood, <laughs> never, I would have never told anybody that I was afraid of them. You know, um, uh, I wouldn't give them that kind of advantage over me. So I, said, so I said to the guy, I'm afraid of you. It was real fear. Okay, but it's the kind of thing that I would have never uh confessed to in, in, in my old neighborhood. The guy was just stunned that I would be afraid of him. And he sat down and he had to take it in for a moment that I really was afraid of him. Uh and it was for real. Okay. And 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 I was I, I was allowing myself to feel vulnerable with him. And he began to cry. You know, we had a good relationship and 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 that I that he could do this to me, and that could I would allow this to happen, you know. He then began to cry, you know. And, and then I uh, I turned to his wife and said, um, "Is this what you were going through? Were you afraid also?" She said, "Yes, I'm really afraid of him." You know. I said, "Okay, I know what that's like," you know. And that just changed everything of course, in the whole interaction among the three of us, okay? But, but it was that my being willing to face my fear and being willing to acknowledge it to another man, something I had never done in my life, okay, that turns, turned the whole tenor of the session around. I mean, the other times when... People treated me in the opposite way. I still remember one guy saying, "Hey, did you ever box?" Well, I used to do. I used to box a, a little bit, and uh, and I was very young and I was very muscular then. And uh, and I said, "Yeah." So he said, "Never mind." He <laughs> he'd be trying treating me in a different way. I I knew he was about to try to try to intimidate me. You know, 
and there was no way it was going to intimidate me. Okay, but I used it in one way in what with one client, and I used the the fear behind it in a different way with another client, and I was able to work with them depending on what I was prepared to show them, yeah. what I was prepared to share with them, you know. Um, but but it's it, it's the, the use of self is being vulnerable, you know, allowing people to affect me. Okay? Um, I remember a very different story, but a very similar story. I had a, a, a woman client who'd been seeing some for some time. Um, not very attractive to me, anyway. Um, but one day she comes in and she's really made up. I mean. Beautifully made up, okay. And I'm suddenly get uh, there's a part of me that kind of interested in women, you know. Um, I'm not not supposed to act on it, but she picked it up and she said, you know, um, uh, and she act. She said, you know, what do you think about me? Well, I said, well, what I think about you is that you're trying to seduce me right now because that's how I'm feeling. <laughs> and she said. She got embarrassed, you know, that I said that. And I said, uh, that's just what's going on with me. And am I am I wrong? And she said, no, you're right. I had planned that ahead of time before I came to see you. So she stopped putting on the airs that she was putting on. And then we we got into a real serious conversation about something. But but it's allowing myself to feel what I'm feeling. Okay. Mm-hmm. And not and not saying to myself, I'm not supposed to feel this way. I'm not supposed to get angry. I'm not supposed to feel seduced. I'm not supposed to. No, I'm human. So let me let me feel what I'm feeling. Okay, let me hear what I'm hearing. Let it affect me. And that and and what I'm what I'm how I'm being affected by this person. That's information. Okay, that's as strong as any language that they could use, or maybe even stronger than any language that they could use. I don't, I don't need to tell them, and I don't, and I usually don't tell them what I'm seeing, okay, but I'm reading it. Okay, so I'm speaking to that, and I'm relating to that. But that means I have to also allow myself to be vulnerable to feel it. Okay, because I, I grew up with, with a sense of never being vulnerable. You know, the kind of neighborhood that I grew up in, if you acted vulnerable, you're likely to get yourself beat up. You know, somebody's going to take advantage of it. Okay, well, uh, no more of that. You know, I, I don't act vulnerable with people generally, but I allow myself to feel what I'm feeling. I don't lie to myself. Okay, and I take that as a communication. Okay, and from that, I use that as, as if they were talking to me and telling me something. You know, so I can talk to them about whether they're afraid, they're angry, they're uptight, they 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 feel I don't like them, whatever it is. Okay, but I I am that's part of the communication. Okay, so it's it's I I I am o- open to the person, and I'm relating to the person, and I'm allowing myself to be vulnerable enough so that I can sense what it is that I'm experiencing from them, and I use that as part of the communication that we have. It's really beautiful examples of like relational risk-taking as well, right? And using your kind of yourself to to know when to take those risks. They sounded yeah. like quite brave risks, those stories that you just yeah, shared. Yeah, with that particular guy, I knew he liked me. We were friendly. So I knew I could say that to him. Somebody else, I would not have said that, you mm-hmm. know. 
so I have to know who I'm talking to and I have to know what I'm trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I knew that this guy felt embarrassed and intimidated when his wife said, yes, you you, you frightened me. Okay, so I wanted, I, I, I knew he felt bad about himself in my presence. Okay, so I, so I wanted him to feel that I was with him and I wasn't looking down at him, mm-hmm. you know, because of what she said. And so it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read previously, you, you speak about your interest in the, the common factors and the kind of research by Spenkel, if I'm saying it correctly. Um, and you wanted to, you was wanting to look into the kind of kind of common factors across modalities of the use of self. Now, I'm wondering now where you are with, with with things like that and your interest in common factors. Well, you know the, the um, we're no longer doing at least I'm no longer doing the psychoanalytic thing. Okay, but there's a relationship there. And and I, if I'm going to work with a client, I need to be vulnerable with that person. They don't need to know it, but I need to know it. And I need to know that I'm going to feel, I want to feel what they're feeling, okay? And, um, and, uh, and if it's something that is, that I can resonate with, you know, I very often go into old memories of mine. I remember things in my own past that were similar to this, okay, that helped me feel it not only from them, but I was also feeling it from myself. You know, so there so there was a some way that helped gave me insight into who they were by allowing myself to experience them and how they were affecting me. And, and so so that's that's to me, that's the, uh, it's just another way of communicating, allowing them to touch me, you know, so that I don't want to, I don't want to go in there with, I'm going to be um, uh, a knight with, you know, armor on me. I'm a, I'm, I'm a human being and I want to be, I want to experience who they are and I want to experience what, you know, what what's coming from them. But I have to be conscious that I'm doing that so that it doesn't overwhelm me, you know, so that I can think of that. And if there are experiences in my own life that are common to that, okay, that helps me to understand what this person is experiencing as they're with me, then all the better. Because I'm hearing, I'm feeling something from them, but I'm also getting another insight into what they're what they're experiencing from my own memory of of a similar kind of experience. Maybe not the same, usually not the same, but but there's some similarity, okay? So I want to get a feeling of that. You know, why is it so hard for them to overcome this particular issue? You know, why are they so stuck on it? Okay, well, I have some issues of mine that I wish I could get over, that I wish I could just say goodbye to them. Uh, And and if, if that comes up for me and I feel it at that moment, then that gives me more of a sense of where they're coming from. Okay, so I want to be with them without their knowing what all that I'm going through at that moment, you know, because it's just another way of communicating. But I can't do that unless I am honest with myself. So that I ask in the training that I have with people, I say to them, I need need for you to be conscious of what your issues are. 
you know, and 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 uh, and if I'm working with a group, even with I'm working with an individual, if you can talk about that, now it'll 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 be to your advantage and it'll be to my advantage as a supervisor. You know, well, I tend to be controlling, or I tend to or I tend to be intimidator, or I tend to be this, that, or the other. You know, and if they give a little history about it, I get a better sense of it, and they get a sense of it. And what I'm saying to them is like, you're human. I'm human. I have my issues. I want you to be comfortable with your own issues. You have to struggle with them. You have to work on them. But but denying them doesn't help you. Being conscious of them will help you. Know help you in therapy. So when you're sitting down with your with your client, allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to feel what what is coming across in the interaction with between you and that person. Okay, that's a communication. And that'll help you to be more intuitive in the work that you're doing with them. Thanks, Harry. I think, I I don't know. I mean, I don't want to end our conversation, but um, it feels like we've taken up a lot of your time. I think it's the first time that we've had somebody on their birthday join us on the, <laughs> on the podcast. I have to say, I have to put that out there as a first. But um we we do always like to um, to have as a last question, really, we, to ask people about future hopes in in some way. And I, I'm I'm trying to think of a way to to frame this question, says so I might even ask you to step in because there's so much that you've contributed, Harry, to the field of, of family therapy, and um, I guess. Yeah, may, might from me, Cesar, you, I think you should put something in as well. I, I think the question is, yeah, what, what, what are your hopes for family therapy, and and what might happen next in the future? And I don't know, Cesar, if there's something you want to add to that. Maybe just what what's pulling you, you know, for future, yeah. and what 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 kind of directions would you like the the field to move towards, or can yeah. you see it moving towards, and what interests. Uh, have you got currently? Mm. Well, you know the the um, uh, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm still learning how to use myself. Okay, but what I'm what I'm paying attention to is uh, what are my strengths and what are my vulnerabilities. Okay, and and I and I want to be able to be honest with myself about these are my hangups. These are my issues, and they're there when I'm sitting down with my clients. Okay, so some clients will intimidate me, some clients will irritate me, some clients will alienate me, some clients will seduce me. Whatever it is that I'm feeling, I want to be able to feel it, you know, and I want to be able to stand outside and feel it and say, what does this mean in terms of the work that we're doing? And incorporate it into the work and not treat it as something alien to the work that's distracting from the work. But this is really right at the very heart of the work because they're going to be able to say just so much, but the other parts of themselves that they're going to, they're going to communicate to me in a way that I'll experience it, even though they're not using words to uh, communicate it. But I'm feeling it and I need to pay attention to it, but I can only feel it if I allow myself to be vulnerable with myself. If I have to, protect myself against my own 
hang-ups and issues and things that I'm ashamed of about myself, if I have to do that, I'm not going to be able to pick up the messages that are coming from them. Okay, so I have to be, uh, uh, there has to be a certain honesty about me with with regard to me. So then when I feel and experience something, I can take it as it is so that I can then incorporate that into what it is that I'm serving and what it is that they're saying and what it is that I'm, my impulses are in order to communicate to them. Okay, so so that it, it enriches the communication and the interaction between myself and the other person. Terry, so, thank you so much for joining us. Um, My been, pleasure. It's been great hearing your stories and hearing your ideas. You, you've sent me into so many different directions and I've taken copious notes of where I want to go and read up about. So thank you. Thank you and happy birthday. Thank you very much. And, yeah, uh, have a have a great day, Harry. For me, I'm thinking, oh, I want to be in a room feeling. <laughs> what's going on I mean I am in a room feeling right now but like I'm looking forward to to carrying on my work and doing this I think it's it's great it's been really it enrich- helpful it enriches the work that we're doing mm. you know but we have to be prepared to be honest with ourselves even though we there are certain things that we may not want to acknowledge about ourselves to ourselves and if, if we have to deny any of it okay we're blocking something out mm. Mm. We're all, we're all human. Absolutely. So it's been my pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Harry. Thank, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, thank you. Lovely. Take thank care you. now. Thank you, Harry. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye.